Hi, Julie. Hi, Lisa. How's it going? It's going well. We are uh, almost to meteorological spring, so I'm happy. <laughs> We're yeah. starting to head, head out of the darkness of winter. For sure. This is a really weird time for me, Lisa, because um, this is the time I, you know, we're almost out of winter and today uh, is February 16th and tomorrow uh, my, my son Noah turns 18 and it's, it's just weird because I, I truly feel like it was just a few years ago that he was born. And whenever this time of year comes around, and I know you, you feel the same because your babies were born in March. You know, I think about, Oh, I remember when he was born, it was almost spring. And, um, I just, I can't believe I'm at this point. So I'm, I'm slowly, but surely getting fired, um, or demoted to a, a consultant rather than a supervisor, which is what I am right now. And, uh, I just can't believe this it. This is a so big year having... for you, Julie. This, this, year's, this year's a big year for you. You've got a lot of big milestones this year. I know. And I I'm, I mean, this is what's supposed to happen, but I would be remiss if I didn't say that it's, it's really on my mind a lot. Like, I just I think about it so much. I cannot believe I'm going to have an, an adult son, an 18-year-old son. I'm like, my voice is getting quivery. But um, I think also because of my other, you know, field I'm in where I'm, I'm in criminal law. I've had so many conversations with him over the past few weeks about Noah's such a good kid, but just things like, okay, so when you turn 18, do you ever notice in the newspaper, it says not um, a teenager, but it says 18 year old man. And then they share the name. And uh, that's, that's just one of many things that happen when you're 18. So while it's wonderful that you get to vote and things like that, there's also a lot of downsides when you turn 18 that you need to realize. So we've had a lot of heavy conversations about the responsibility of being 18, even though he's still a teenager, it's, it's a big milestone. So anyway, that is what's on my mind. I know this is a running podcast, but I would be remiss if I didn't share that with you this week. That's what's going on. Yeah. Well, springtime and a new season in many, many different um, senses of the word. So um, that's exciting and, uh, and unbelievable in, in both, in, in both senses of the words. And I, you know, I'm not far behind you and I always kind of look and say, how did, how did we get to this point? I, you know, they would say um, the days go by slowly, but the years fly by much more quickly. And that's absolutely, absolutely true. So, so what have you been up to lately? I heard you had a visit to R&J Sports, our, our favorite local um, running shoe, running apparel and shoe uh, shoe store here in our area. So tell me about your visit to R&J. Yeah, so, um, you know, I we work at the Run Performance Lab for um, the Montgomery County Roadrunners Club. And I worked my shift a couple Mondays ago and Ray from R&J was there and I had him take a look at my Hoka's. Um, I wear the Clifton's and he didn't like the way that my um, inserts, my super feet inserts were fitting in there. I'm, and he asked me to come in the store and take a look at some other options. He just didn't like the way my shoe was turning. And Ray is so specific. He's so gifted. He can tell if a shoe isn't fitting you by just looking at your feet without even feeling. And you're like Ray and Kelly are like, I call them the shoe, like crime scene investigators, like CSI of shoes. They like, like you said, they'll look at the insole, they'll look at the wear on the bottom. They'll look at so many different things that we don't even see with our eyes and be able to figure out what's going on. It's, it's amazing. It, it really is. So, um, I went and made a trip to the store yesterday and 
of course, when you go to a shoe store, what happens? You look at the other shoes and I had a gift card. And instead of getting a replacement pair of insoles for my Hoka's, I ended up getting in addition, another pair of Hoka's. I just put them on while Ray was in the back and they felt like clouds and they are a shoe. They're called the Bondi X and they have their Hoka's with a carbon plate. But the difference between these carbon plate Hoka's and the previous types of carbon plate shoes is these are actually carbon plate shoes that are intended for a runner who isn't necessarily a sub six minute miler, but a runner who is medium fast. That would be someone like me who I, I can run a fast 5k, but I'm not, I'm an age grouper. And that's how they describe it. Um, it's for age groupers, people who want to have these on their feet for racing. They won't be out there for hours and hours, but a few hours. And so I don't know exactly who this shoe isn't appropriate for, because I feel like if it's appropriate for me, it's appropriate for anyone. But Ray emphasized that's important to only wear them for certain events. And so obviously, because they have the carbon plate, you want to save them. These are not um, a sensible purchase. I feel less guilty because I have the gift card, but I'm going to wear these for races and I'm going to wear them for a few workouts, of course, before the race, because you never want to try anything new on race day. But it's my understanding that I can get about 100 to 120 miles um, out of these. And if I like them, when I wear these for Cherry Blossom in a few months, I think I'm going to wear them for Boston. They feel like clouds. They're so big and bulky, but they're super light. So I'm really excited about my impractical purchase. Excellent. Well, let's caveat that with that you had very good um, expert advice. So um, anyone who's listening and especially our runners who are training for Boston who are starting to think about their shoe choices. This is a good time to think about that. And if you feel like you want something different or you want to try something different to go into your local shoe store that is experienced with runners and, um, you know, trusted and, and talk to them. And we are actually um, several years ago, pre-pandemic, we did a podcast episode with um, Kelly Scherf from RNJ on shoes. And that was right kind of when the carbon plated shoes were just starting to come out and they were targeted and, and really, uh, beneficial mostly to very fast runners. And Kelly talked about that in the podcast that, um, that they work best for runners that were very fast. So since then, there has been a ton of development in the shoe running shoe world and uh, the carbon plates and even um, other, other materials that are being put in the shoes to kind of give you that extra propulsion are now ubiquitous and uh, being used by lots of different runners. And everyone's kind of curious as to what, um, you know, whether they're right for them or what they can do for them. And there's a temptation too to just go spend a lot of money on shoes because they promise that they're going to make you faster, but they might not be the right shoe for you. And there are so many options now that we are going to do a podcast um, coming up in the near future on kind of an update on shoes to help give people guidance. But if anybody is in the middle of training and thinking about reevaluating their shoe choice, um, now is a good time to go into your local running shoe store and have a conversation. Um, physical therapists are really good uh, resources for, for talking about what types of shoes are appropriate for your biomechanics. Podiatrists, again, experience with runners. Um, so that's, you know, th this is a good time to do that because like you mentioned, if you want to think about using a different shoe for racing, you want to get in some training runs, you might want to get in a tune-up race with them to make sure that they work for you. Um, and, and similarly along those lines, this is now a good time to think about nutrition and start dialing in nutrition. So Today's guest is going to cover uh, kind of the, the basics and the fundamentals, uh, reinforce some things for us, give us some new ideas 
on, on nutrition. Yeah, we're really excited to welcome Kelsey Bookman Pontius to the podcast. We found her because we are in a Boston Marathon group on Facebook and several people recommended her as a terrific dietitian for runners. And not only is she a, an experienced and very specific sports and runners dietitian, but she is also a, just one heck of a runner. She recently qualified at the Houston Marathon in January, uh, achieved the new OTQ standard and will be running the Olympic marathon trials. And she mentioned she trains, even though she lives in Jacksonville, Florida, she trains with Boulder Underground and their coach, who is also um, the group that Brie Boehner, who we had on our podcast a few weeks ago, trains with. So we thought that was a really cool coincidence. But she is a wealth of information. And while we've had a number of dietitians on our podcast over the years, we love having more on because every time we have a dietitian on, and we always say this, we learn something new. And certainly uh, Kelsey's interview today was no exception. She provided a lot of great information and just reinforced things that we all know, but, you know, dietetics is science. And, and as we've talked about a lot over the past couple of years, science is evidence-based and sometimes that evidence changes. And so that it's important to every couple months, even to reevaluate your nutrition choices and, and look at the evidence. And is there anything that's changed? Is there anything we should be doing differently? Are there any shortcuts we don't know about that have occurred? And, and spoiler alert, there, there are no shortcuts. Consistency is key in everything. And dietetics and nutrition is no exception, but the information that Kelsey provides is, is really solid information. It's really not challenging to follow the way she explains it. And she actually gives a lot of concrete answers, which we appreciated versus everyone's different. And you'll have to meet with your registered dietitian to determine that answer. She really does provide a lot of guidance that anyone can use regardless of your level of training age and, uh, the distance you're training for. Yeah. And we always love having, um, dietitians on that, um, reinforce that consistency is really the, the magic pill. There's no magic pill. There's no shortcut. It's really consistency. And that's the same in training and running, uh, you know, us coaching runners. It's the same thing. There are no, we have no magic um, pills to give everyone. We have no magic secrets. It's just, it's consistency. And it really comes down to timeless knowledge that it's really science-based and not kind of the fad of the day or the marketing of the day. It all comes back to consistency and and um, what's what's based in evidence. And that's why we appreciate having registered dietitians who have that training and that scientific background, um, the research and the experience uh, to, to, to really um, look at look at nutrition and particularly nutrition for marathoners from that perspective. So anyone again, who's sort of in the middle of training and reevaluating whether their nutrition is supporting their training and their, not only your training, but your recovery and really just general life. Um, as Kelsey talks about that nutrition is important for all functions in our lives from thinking to, you know, to, to walking, to taking care of our families, to working. Um, if you have any questions, this is a good time to seek out a registered dietitian and we will post Kelsey's information in the show notes, but to seek out a registered dietitian, preferably somebody with an, with experience with runners, um, or specialty in sports dietitian, sports dietetics, and, and start working with them now because this is, this is the time we've got to practice. Like you don't want to try anything new on race day or as it gets closer to race day, this is the time to fine tune your nutrition as well. 
Absolutely. And I really liked the advice she gave because she kept saying um, throughout the interview that while something may work for you, wouldn't it be great if it actually worked better for you? Because sometimes people get really locked in to what they do in terms of nutrition and say, well, this has always worked for me. But what if you changed a little bit and you tried something new and it actually worked better? And the only way to find that out is to start early enough before race day that it's not something new that your gut will reject as a result of not training your gut. So uh, that was something in the conversation that I really appreciated that she addressed. And it looks like Kelsey is taking new clients. So if you are someone that's interested in talking with someone, even though she is in Jacksonville, she does work with clients virtually. And like you said, we'll link her information in the show notes. Yeah, I loved what she, um, we talked about this in our interview with her, but, you know, um, so many of us were focused, we were just talking about it, we're focusing on what can we buy, what shoes can we buy to increase our performance by a, a small percentage, what, what, um, you know, what can we do, what strength exercises, what, what can we do to improve our performance, and oftentimes we overlook one of the most simple ways to improve our performance, which is nutrition, um, so this is definitely just another tool in the toolbox to optimize your training and reach your potential, get to the health, get to the start line healthy and be able to run to your potential. Uh, so, you know, in addition to the shoes and the gear and anything else that you think, um, you know, compression wear, whatever it else is that you think you know, might, might in, improve your performance. Nutrition is kind of the top of the list uh, outside of your, your training. Yeah. And Kelsey mentions, speaking of that, that she also has a specialty in gut health and often gut health is linked to sleep health. And of course, we've talked about this a lot on our podcast that sleep is the number one recovery modality. So imagine being able to dial in your nutrition and, and as a as just an added benefit that in turn benefits your sleep, which then benefits your recovery. So it all works together. Yep. Yeah, so another important conversation and so glad to have Kelsey join us. Um, we have a lot of past podcast episodes with really experienced and also equally helpful dietitians. So um, go back and look through those, but um, we're really excited to have Kelsey join us today. All right, well, Lisa, I hope you have a great week. Thanks, you too, Julie. Bye. Bye. Kelsey Beckman-Pontius, welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. We are so excited that you joined us today. And um, before we get started, please introduce yourself and share where you're from, where you live and how you got into dietetics and uh, what you do outside of being a dietitian. Oh, well, thanks so much, ladies, for having me. I've been listening um, to other episodes of the podcast for a while now and some of my teammates. And every time you have a new guest, I fall in love with you ladies and whoever you have on there. So um, it's a true privilege to be on here. Oh, thank you so much. That's so nice to hear. We, we really, really appreciate that. Yeah. So I am born and raised and currently live in Jacksonville, Florida. I only lived a little bit um, or moved away for a little bit to get my education. Um, but I actually started off as a soccer player. I was a very serious soccer player growing up. And um, I got one of the most common injuries as a female soccer player. I tore my ACL while I was in high school. Yeah, it's an epidemic. <laughs> and so um, that really started my, how can I heal this thing quicker and me landing at nutrition um, journey. And so I'm not a patient person. I wanted, the doctor told me it's going to take six to nine months to get back. And I was like, there's no way I can wait that long. Let's expedite this process. That sounds, that response sounds good for everybody except for me. And, um, I started doing my own 
research, which was very low quality because I was 15. And that was like the beginning of the internet. So you can imagine like the things that I stumbled across as a 15 year old girl um, doing my own research. So at that time, um, I mean, I'm not that old, but I'm definitely there sports dietitians and all these specialty things weren't a thing when I was in high school. And so um, we didn't have anybody like me or even people that are kind of, um, I mean, Nancy Clark might've been around like pioneer of sports dietetics, but I, she's been on our podcast twice. She's amazing. Oh my gosh. That is like the goat, right? Um, So there wasn't, I don't even know how much work she was doing at that point. And so um, long story short, um, I ended up playing college soccer, still played for a D1 program, didn't know how to fuel my body as an athlete. And that was really crazy to me. And they didn't even really talk about nutrition too much. I think one person um, gave us the conversation and now I'm kind of dating myself. They showed us the food pyramid and I'm like going into the dining halls. Like, what the heck do I still put on my plate? Like there's girls that are in the starting 11 that are eating salads. And there's also girls in the starting 11 that eat fast food. So what does that mean as for me as like the freshman that's trying to get any playing time, what do I eat? And so it was just a really big curiosity for me that knowing there was a relationship and just wanting to know what that was. Um, And then when I stopped playing soccer and transitioned into being an endurance athlete, um, there's a lot more pressures in the sport. That was a steep learning curve for me. Um, Soccer was how strong can I be? Um, Can I muscle these very athletic girls off the ball? Like I didn't really think about what I looked like too much. And then being a runner, there's all these pressures. And I quickly realized I'm like, wow, I have a lot of muscles compared to everybody else. And um, so it didn't take long for me to notice that and kind of still that curiosity grew. And I started studying nutrition and dietetics um, and got my degree in that. And um, then went through the internship that we have to in order to obtain our credentials and just did the whole process to become a sports dietitian. Uh, just one quick question. This is a little unrelated to running, but I just need to ask. Um, over the past few months, there have been a ton of kids I know who have torn their ACLs. What advice do you have for parents um, and kids who are listening about how food possibly could help with that healing process? Oh, absolutely. What I think, and even I think your endurance athletes listening that are going through injuries might get some value from this is healing is an anabolic process. So what that means is we have to build new tissues. We have to build new structures in our body. And so we, a lot of times athletes first thought is, oh my gosh, I'm not as active. I'm not moving my body in the same way. So they have a little bit of a panic. And sometimes that means that they're, they're holding back on food, but really we need, um, sometimes we need um, just as much nutrition, especially if we're undergoing surgical procedures. And it's a very high protein diet. That doesn't mean no carbs. That just means we're prioritizing protein, a lot of anti-inflammatories and other things that help facilitate healing. And actually um, I've worked with a lot of adolescents that have gone through severe injuries like this, that it's a really great time to kind of give your adolescents something to focus on. That's not just the, the sadness of, I can't 
I can't play because that part sucks. It's, it's traumatizing. And so you, you give them one other way of how to get better and where to focus on that in the long run, you're going to make such a um, more resilient athlete and an athlete that has tools because as athletes, we get hurt. It's a part of sports and they're going to have a bigger toolbox going forward. I love that perspective. And I think you're right. That applies to runners just as much as, as youth athletes, especially when we're sidelined. That's such a, an important uh, lesson to carry forward, even once you're healthy again. I think that's really important. Will you explain a little bit about um, the sports dietitian kind of specialty and how that, you know, how listeners can find somebody who has that specialty and what that means in terms of your experience and your training? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we, you know, there's the whole caveat that dietitians get super sassy about, and I've became less sassy as I've become more competent in my field that I don't have to like correct everyone. That's like, I'm a dietitian, not a nutritionist. Well, technically I'm both, but, um, but we're very particular about that. (laughs) We're very, we're always telling people find a registered dietitian. So talk a little bit about, you know, what is a registered dietitian and how, you know, how do you get the credentials then to become sports, you know, sports dietitian focus. Yeah. It's just such a gray area right now because there's all these influencers and all these people that are providing nutrition advice. Um, so dietitians, actually, we have to go through an accredited program, a nutrition and dietetics program, and then we get into a pretty competitive, um, internship that allows us, it's like a residency for dietitians. We get a lot of different experiences. The highlight of mine, um, I got to work beside, um, she's still someone I have a great relationship with she's um, the sports dietitian for the Orlando Magic and UCF. And so, and she's a runner, so we love her. Um, so I got to learn a lot from her and I was just her little sidekick for, for quite a, a long time. And so I learned a lot from her. Um, and so that was really the experience that I'm like, ooh, this is exactly what I wanna do. Um, and then we have to pass boards and keep up with continuing education and everything. And so to take it a little bit further, once you've been practicing for five years. So I was just eligible for this as of August, past August, 2021. Um, if you have so many hours in sports dietetics, so mine came from working with universities, um, having like data and proof that I worked with athletes in my own private practice, then you you can um, take another um, board certified test um, that allows you to obtain what's known as your certified um, sports specialist in, in sports dietetics. And so um, that test is hard. <laughs> um, and so that's just a, another specialty. Um, there's tons of dietitians out there that are practicing in sports that are wonderful in sports that don't necessarily have those fun credentials after their names. Um, but it was something that was really important for me. And I think that having to study and pass that exam, it did make me focus on areas that, you know, quite honestly, I am going to see as a practitioner that isn't my first interest, but, um, just you guys have taken tests and stuff like that. It's like a a necessary evil, um, that it just makes you become a more well-rounded, um, expert in your field. Uh, thank you for clarifying that. So you did just mention that you see um, clients sometimes outside of what you would expect. So tell us a little bit about what meteor nutrition your practice is and what you do. Yeah. So um, private practice, sports focused, um, 
And I see clients all over the country. I've worked with a few international clients. So specializing in sports, I do have like a sub focus. Um, I really love gut health. Um, and it kind of came from, yes, it's kind of came from something I didn't know I was looking for. Um, but one of my girlfriends that I run with has worked in GI health for forever and she's a PA. Um, and so I'm one of the only private practice, um, dietitians in Jacksonville, which is the biggest city in the, by landmass in the United States. And so they didn't have anybody to spend a lot of time with these types of clients. So while I'm trying to build my business and everything, I'm taking more clients, not just, um, athletes and getting a lot of lessons and having to learn more with gut health. And then I started realizing that this knowledge was totally applicable to my athletes, because if I could work with gut health for non-athletes, so many translated into all the GI issues we see, um, with, with athletes. And then it made me even more curious to learn more about, um, other things that might be influencing gut health, um, with athletes. Yeah, that's, um, that's fascinating. And that's, um, you know, that's interesting because we coach a lot of runners who struggle with gut issues and those, um, yeah, add another layer kind of a complication when you're somebody who's trying to train for an endurance sport or, um, you know, fuel yourself, um, appropriately. So, um, so you're not just a dietitian, a sports dietitian, you know, you talked about your transition to running, but you are currently an experienced runner. So you speak, we always like to refer our runners to, medical professionals who understand runners and who are typically, especially if they are runners, we know that they understand runners. So tell us a little bit about, you know, you said you started running, I think in college, did you make that transition in college to running and what that um, trajectory has looked like for you and your running? Yeah. So like I was saying, I played college soccer and I experienced, um, quite a few concussions my sophomore year. And it just wasn't, it just wasn't fun. I wasn't enjoying it. Um, soccer was something that was always like the most fun enjoyable part of my day. And it just wasn't that anymore. I was starting to like fear going to practice and, and I loathed it. And so, um, I ended up, um, transitioning into, that's where I started studying nutrition dietetics and becoming a distance athlete. And actually that wasn't a choice. It was more of like going on runs here and there to keep any form of movement in my life. And, um, I had a job. I worked at Lululemon while I was still an undergraduate. Yes. And, someone invited me to do a 50 K and by someone, she's my very good friend now. And I had no idea even how many, how long that race was. Um, but I really liked her and I wanted to make new friends because I was used to, you know, having built in friends from being on a team my whole life. And then not being on a team, I'm like, I need to make some friends. And this girl just invited me to do something. I have to say, yes. Wait, you hadn't done any running. You hadn't really done any running yet. And your first goal is a 50 K. Yes. <laughs> Ambitious. <laughs> Yes, that is the right word. Um, so yeah, we did this 50, it was like a North face race in North Georgia and it was a lot of fun. And, um, somewhere out there, I realized I actually still loved not only running and being active, but being competitive. I think I like left my friend that invited me, um, somewhere on the course because I'm like, wait, this is a race. Like, why aren't we racing? Um, <laughs> And so it all, my running journey kind of started with a 50 K and then, um, people kind of noticing like, okay, like you're pretty good at this. Like maybe you should get a coach. And, um, I think that like ending soccer in such a bad place, having success in something else was really enjoyable and healthy for me. 
And then how did you progress? So you started running marathons, obviously, eventually, right? And how did how did that happen? And how did you um, did you get a coach? And what happened? You know, how did that coach kind of shape your your running trajectory? And kind of what has happened since that since that fifty k? Yeah, so I ran a few more races without a coach, um, just like some local, the most popular races in um, Jacksonville. So I ran a five k. And that went well. Um, I ran my first marathon, which I didn't, I had done the 50 K, but I didn't do like any 20 milers or anything leading up to the, I was really your worst nightmare. I was a disaster. I learned what a goo was in that race at mile 18 of the marathon. <laughs> um, I, I wore the biggest nerdiest fanny pack you could ever, I had headphones, like the whole thing, um, in this marathon and, um, And then after that, one of my friends, she was being coached and I got my first like set of running friends and they influenced me to get a coach. And it's actually the same coach that I still currently work with. And so he has been coaching me for eight years. So he has seen me like graduate from college, go through relationships. He was at my wedding. He um, is the first person that told me like, you are capable of qualifying for the Olympic trials. And now we've qualified together twice. And so he's a really special person to me. And I think that that's something that people don't realize about coaches. Like he's taught me so much about life in general, and I'm a better human because of him. And I think so much of our lives translate into our sports. And so um, he's just been such a positive influence for me. Well, tell us who your coach is. Let's give him a shout out. Matt Hensley, yeah, he's the owner of Boulder Underground. Oh, um, wait, is, isn't that the same coach? Yes. We just interviewed Brianna Boehner. Yes. That's yeah. so yes. funny. We didn't even realize it. So you guys live in different places, obviously, but you both um, run for Boulder Underground. That's so funny. Yes. Oh my gosh. What was your finish time for your first marathon? 3.05, but it was a Galloway, the wow. last 10K. Wow. wow, but still to be able to finish. So at that point, you probably we had a sense, or at least if the friends that you ran with were probably like, you're, you're pretty good. <laughs> yes. Wow. That's incredible. So you, you had a natural talent clearly, um, before we move on, Lisa and I, we didn't want to interrupt, but we are, um, Lululemon ambassadors for the Lululemon and Gaithersburg. So we kind of understand that conversation you had where a friend at work convinced you to run a 50 K cause we, we've seen firsthand how, um, how the culture there does cause people to do things that they may not want to do is step outside of their comfort zone and find something that they love. So that's what's so great about the company and, yeah, and beautiful the company. Store. I can't say enough. Yeah. I have the same experience. It's great. Yeah. So, okay. So now that we realize we have so much in common and we had no idea that you also train with the same coach as Brie Vayner, that is so cool. Um, it's a small world. We want to now dive into, um, some nutrition questions. Uh, and particularly because you're a runner and because you also work with a diverse set of athletes, we really feel like you're going to add a lot of value to this conversation. So the first question we want to ask you before we get into the nitty gritty is, can you, um, share with our listeners, uh, why it's important to run with food just in generally, just in general. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that we get so lost about is all of our body's functions require energy. And so this is something that I think the injured runner, the runner that's taking a rest day, the runner that's tapering, all of these types of things where we might connect, um, that 
I like that athletes connect that the more, if they running, there's a relationship between running or, or sport and nutrition, but I think they forget all of the other things that our bodies require energy for. So what I'm getting at is our organs just to function needs energy, um, to walk your dog, to, you know, take your, put your kid on the bus stop. All of these things requires energy, um, to heal. Like we were talking about just a few moments ago, um, requires energy. Um, and then we add, um, a very, very energy demanding physical activity on top of it. And we require energy. And so if we're not fueling our bodies enough, then we, we can't reach our maximum potential. And then, you know, it's very, very, um, dangerous in terms of putting yourself at a higher risk of injury, creating hormonal imbalances. Um, and then for me, like, I think that sometimes I, I watch athletes and I see their food intake, or I hear even conversations of people that aren't my clients around nutrition and food. And it, it makes me a little bit sad for them that like they have all of this potential and really a lot of us are limited by our ability to take in sufficient amounts of fuel. And so I always think about this as I'm like, what if, um, we met more of our energy needs? What if we gave ourselves the energy to train harder for longer and stuff like that? Because I think that when you think of the things that all athletes want, they all get inspired by PRs and fast times and doing something they've never done before. And the rate limiting fuel is nutrition. That's so important. It sounds like maybe the number one issue you see that that runners have is is fueling adequately. But what is what are maybe one or some of the biggest um, problems that you see or challenges that you see distance runners? Let's talk about marathoners. Um, you know, who can you come to you and just say like, I need help? You know, with performance, with fueling, or you know, maybe I'm trying to lose weight while I'm while I'm running and I'm trying to balance that. What's what are the top kind of mistakes that you see people making and um, how do you help them correct those mistakes? Yeah. So I think that one of the biggest things that I see right now is um, running to eat and not eating to run. Um, That is a big thing that I'm like, hold on, wait a minute. Um, It should be the other way around. We should be fueling in order to hit certain paces, to recover right, to avoid injury. So that's a really big thing instead of, um, you know, saying, oops, I had an extra glass of wine last night. Let me go around the block another time, because then you guys as coaches know this, you're, you're outside of your training plan. And, um, that might be something that coaches or really periodized plans didn't account for you doing. And so therefore you can't follow on the same trajectory of something that's nice and laid out for you. The other thing, um, that I see, and I think that this is the hesitation for athletes to take in fuel, they don't practice their, their, um, race day fuel before they get to race day. And there's so many things. First of all, you want to practice what kind of products work the best for you and your belly. Um, you want to build confidence around the plan and actually, and I'm doing a lot of research around this right now. Um, your gut adapts to the specific types of fuel that you practice with. So if you're not practicing with fuel, there's receptors in your GI tract that says, Hey, I know what to do. I know how to manufacture that these like molecules of, of fuel and carbohydrates without getting too sciencey. I know what that is. That's familiar to me. So thank you very much. I'm going to now repackage this as energy, um, so that it can be used while we're exercising. You know, a lot of runners and even ourselves when we run, you know, sometimes you feel like when you're in a training run and you're running an easy pace, you don't need the, you don't feel hungry. You don't feel like you need the fuel. So we get a lot of runners who say, well, 
I can do 20. I feel fine. I don't feel like I need fuel. And we try to convince them like, no, but on race day, you're going to be running faster. Your body's going to be burning glycogen faster and your body's going to need it then. And it won't know what to do. Um, so we do tell, tell our runners, you know, quite often you have to train your GI system, just like you train your, your, your body physically to run. And it sounds like the, the studies and the research and your research that you've done, kind of what you've looked into backs that backs that up. Yeah, totally. And I don't know what it is. I don't know why we're like this, but um, I feel like it's like a silent like competition. Like when people are like, oh, well, I can run 12 miles without fuel or something like that. I don't know why that's gratifying for people, but there's something about it that it's totally a trend. If you're seeing it, I'm seeing it. And um, my response is just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Um, Like you wouldn't buy a new pair of shoes and I mean, hopefully not and try to wear it the first day of, um, Boston marathon or whatever. No, you want to break those puppies in. You want to know that you love them. You want to know that they're not going to give you blisters and that they can start to mold to your feet. Where, when do you recommend runners start to fuel like after a certain, you know, an hour and a half, an hour and 15 minutes, is there a certain point that you recommend runners start to use, incorporate that fuel during their runs? Yeah. For long runs, I always say, um, anywhere, but you hit the nail on the head, the window of 75 to 90 minutes. So much of that is like, oh my goodness, are we running 75 minutes for the first time or something like that? Are we running a distance for the first time? I have, um, a runner right now that was an old marathoner, but she hasn't done it in a hot minute. Her health has been in jeopardy. And so we're running distances that, um, she hasn't. And so we're implementing fuel a little bit earlier on. And I think windows are great for athletes and not getting so stuck on things. Um, and then as far as, um, definitely after 90 minutes races over 90 minutes, um, definitely recommend, um, some fuel in there. Um, and then the amount and everything is going to depend on the intensity and, um, how long the, the duration of the total race is, how much you're trying to aim for, for, for hours. And then something that I'll tell you too, it's so funny, what a really popular race in Jacksonville, Florida is a 15 K and, I run it in like 51, 52 minutes. Um, and so that doesn't meet the criteria, but what I will tell you is there's two bridges in it. Um, it can be hot and humid. It can be really windy and I take fuel during it. And it's something that I've gotten made fun of and joked about, but at the same time, most of the people making fun of me haven't ran that time. So (laughs) I'm always like, consider (laughs) that maybe that you don't have to get stuck on things. And that if you feel better, you feel better. Like if it helps you, it helps you just be flexible with yourself. What about conversely, we have runners who it may take them, um, an hour and 20 minutes to run, uh, six, seven miles. And that's a run that's almost an hour and a half that would normally require fueling. But for them, that's their very easy pace. Would you recommend for a run like that? Always taking fuel, even if it's not a a longer run, but just in terms of every time they run, that's about how long they're out there for their specific marathon training. What are your thoughts with that? where it's kind of the opposite. Yeah. That's a lot of my clientele too, to be honest. Um, yeah, I'm a big time on feet type of people that a lot of times like your body doesn't know that you ran six or seven miles and maybe for your friend or your spouse or whatever, that that duration you're fitting or that distance you're fitting in a shorter duration. I think, I think of it as time on feet for sure, because that's how I would equip my athletes to feel during a race. I, I, tr- it's hard because it, nutrition is always available on like mile markers and stuff, but I really teach them to go on duration and time and not necessarily on distance, because if your pace changes for whatever reason or whatever, you really want to be fueling around the clock instead of if it takes you longer to finish, um, a particular distance. 
Yeah, thank you for clarifying that because it is important. People, everyone's journey to the finish is different, but everyone needs fueling. Even if you're technically running less miles in the same period of time, your body doesn't necessarily know that. So it's a yeah. really great point. Yeah, I agree. So kind of um, backing up a little bit and talking about gut health and, and maybe runners who have sensitive GI systems. And, you know, a lot of times we have runners, I'm sure you do too. You see runners who something that they're using is bothering their GI system. They have to go to the bathroom during their runs. You know, they're saying I have to stop in the middle of my runs to go to the bathroom. I have, you know, uh, runners who may already have issues like um, uh, GERD, GERD, and they have issues that are making their nutrition a little more complicated. They're not somebody who just has an iron stomach who can take anything. What do you recommend that those runners do to help? Is other types of nutrition that are more easily digestible? Are they just experimenting? Like what are you recommending, you know, more liquid nutrition? What, what can runners who experience GI distress during their longer runs or on race, you know, race day, what, what can they do to, to help ameliorate that distress? Yeah. Um, so there can be GI distress for so many different reasons. It could be, um, like you said, like underlying health issues like GERD or IBS or something like that. Um, maybe they haven't trained their gut. Maybe they're trying to eat the wrong things. Maybe they're underhydrated. Maybe they're trying to eat too much too soon, or they haven't ate enough. So that like working one-on-one -on -one with people is where we really get to isolate those variables. But, you know, for your listeners, I would say, um, to the best of your ability, if you're not, if you don't know why, um, trying to separate these, you know, if you don't have an underlying thing, um, maybe consider, have I had enough fluids? Have I had electrolytes? What am I eating super close up to it? The longer we have before run, the more fuel we can tolerate. Um, we want to be um, lowering our intake of fat and fiber before we run and really focusing on those carbohydrates. And then closer up, we want to be focused, um, like I said, more on carbohydrates. Sometimes things that are heavier in fat can cause issues. Um, and then as far as sports nutrition products, um, there's an array of things that might cause GI distress. Um, sometimes, like you said, like fluids can be tolerated because it's not the same thing as like gel going like straight and hitting your gut hard. Um, so those can be a little bit easier on your tummy. And then as far as when people are having GI issues, I never, I never start them with like, what's the goal of carbohydrate intake per hour. Um, specifically, I start them around like 15 grams per hour, where a lot of my athletes, I'm hoping that they'll land anywhere between like, depending on the length of the race, anywhere between 30 and 90 grams per hour. So we're starting them at 15 grams per hour. And that's how we start training the gut, if you will. Um, the types of carbohydrates they take in is going to be um, pretty individual. Um, we do know right now that things with fructose in them, um, a lot of people are having more issues with things with fructose. Um, so worthwhile to looking at things, looking at your ingredient labels and seeing if there's um, fructose. I know people kind of got on the honey bandwagon for a little bit. That could be something that it seems all natural and healthy, but at the same time, it might not be something that is going to agree with you while your heart rate's up and blood's being diverted away from your gut to your muscles, because that's kind of the nature of a lot of GI issues, that blood going away from your gut and to your working muscles. So, um, I know I just threw out a lot, but there's so many different reasons. Um, and it really, really just looks like building awareness around your habits around your run. So even starting a little journal of what you're doing and what you've tried. Um, and then at the same time, like we, when I work one-on-one -on -one with people, we isolate variables, 
but it's still trial and erring. I trial and error my own nutrition all the time. We're our own best guinea pigs. What are some creative alternatives that you've found for those who just can't tolerate the stickiness of a gel or they just don't like the way, let's say a chew kind of sticks in their mouth for a while or in their teeth while they're running? A lot of times, at least we find it's not just about the gut, but it's about sensory issues and how, how those things feel in one's mouth, especially late in a race. So what are some creative suggestions that you've given to your clients or even for yourself for those types of fuel? Yeah. So I think that with those kinds of things, whole food options can be, can be an alternative. They're not as practical as sports nutrition products, which are like those little, um, convenient containers that we can all stick in like the nooks and crannies on our (laughs) pockets, whatever sports bras, whatever, whatever you can fit them into. So whole food options. Um, I've definitely used things, um, like pretzels or gummy bears, sour worms, fig newton, stuff like that to be creative with, um, with athletes. But the thing to think about is even people that ask me about things like dates and stuff like that, like, sure, we can meet your carbohydrate needs, but that's a lot of dates that you got to carry with you now. And, um, in places like Boston, like who's going to be holding like your next, um, your fill up and your supply of those on the course. So there is a trade-off for it. Um, so sometimes with those people too, I really try to like, okay, you don't like shoes. You don't like gels. You don't want to put something in a flask. You don't want a handheld. Um, you know, what are some other convenient options? And a lot of times it looks like a mix of sports nutrition products and whole food options. And then of course we have to practice that thing. So your gut gets used to it. Kelsey, talk a little bit too about, um, the role of hydration and how that plays a role. And, you know, a lot, I know a lot of the sports nutrition, um, products require water or hydration to absorb. So how does, kind of hydration and you alluded to it earlier when you said that you could have GI distress because maybe you're dehydrated or, you know, maybe you're not getting enough hydration. How does hydration play into all of this? Yeah. So hydration, um, actually like gels and stuff like that, they're meant to be taken with water. And so that's a lot of times when people like double up on, um, sugars and stuff like that, that's where I've actually done that, where I've taken a gel and then been like, Oh, I'm bonking. Let me just get some Powerade real quick. And then like, you're like, Oh no, um, we have to make our own mistakes sometimes. Um, so really we want to make sure that there it's a good concentration with electrolytes and glucose. It's the proper osmolar osmolarity. Um, and what that means is that you have fluid, you have electrolytes and you have, there's an optimal range of, um, carbohydrates in there too. And what that will, um, make sure is that a, that, that carbohydrate isn't necessarily, um, too concentrated when it hits your gut, um, because that can cause GI distress and then electrolytes too. electrolytes, um, you know, help, things like carbohydrates and stuff like that absorb into the bloodstream. Um, so really, really important. And then of course, like dehydration can be critical. Like I think it's like even one to 2% of dehydration can, um, impact performance up to 8%. And, um, I'm talking to an audience that we spend all the money on fast shoes, on light components, on all of these things. So think about 8% for just 1% more dehydration and then overhydration. So hyponatremia is even more deathly than dehydration. That's very scary. That's like med tent stuff. Um, you know, so finding the right amount of hydration is super important to make sure that we're not diluting our electrolytes, but also we're properly hydrated. So our fuel can go move throughout our bodies and, um, we can use energy effectively. And what about hydration outside of running? You know, we see people walking around with 
tremendously big water bottles these days. And um, I know noon is a favorite drink among so many runners. And it's also, and this is odd to me, and this is a, another subject, it's served a lot on courses, which to me, noon is not the same as Gatorade or Powerade. So, um, and then lately, I've also seen a hydration product in Costco is called Liquid IV, and it's supposed to um, enhance your water. So talk to us just a little bit about all of these um, hydration choices and really what one should be doing and thinking about outside of running as well. Yeah, I think you want to think about like the goal of what you're drinking. So you bring up a really, really good point because I have um, in in my Facebook community, people like solely will use things like Noon and Liquid IV and SOS and all of these things that have electrolytes, but not calories via carbohydrates in them to fuel their races. And great, we, we need fluids, we need electrolytes, but the missing component is the calories. Now, where I use some of these products is either A, races that are underneath that time, like 75 minutes or whatever, if it's hot or something like that, just to get some electrolytes or for daily hydration needs. If you're training somewhere like Florida, full disclaimer, I got done with a run and I had a noon for like after, because I'm not acclimated to the heat from Florida right now. And I just went on like my first sweaty run of the season. I was like, Ooh, that like was a little bit more depleting than I expected it to be. Um, so it's not fueling my run, it's replenishing things. So there's a difference in knowing the difference between those things. And then also the standard American diet, a lot of us are getting a lot of good electrolytes. And I try to focus on sodium, potassium, magnesium, calcium, our major electrolytes and getting some of those things through food. So we don't necessarily rely on all of these expensive things. I don't know about you, but if every time I went on a run, I was having a noon or multiple per day, that would add up. That's pretty expensive stuff. Um, so trying to meet some of those needs that help with fluid balance and muscle contraction and all of the important things that electrolytes do without relying on some of those things. And then not solely relying on things that don't have calories and don't have carbohydrates to fuel our runs, because that's not going to cut it on race day. And it can just be really stressful to your body too, to be honest, of not having proper fuel, um, again, higher risk for injury you stress yourself out. I know that you guys, um, work with a lot of masters athletes and something that we're, we're trying to, um, really balances our hormone levels. So cortisol, estrogen, progesterone, and when we're not giving our bodies enough fuel, um, then it can throw our hormones out of balance. And I do see a big trend right now with especially women that are, are a little bit scared of implementing those carbohydrates. And so what happens is they rely on those things. And those things are so heavily marketed to us. It's a $200 billion industry. And we don't use carbohydrates and cortisol levels go up, which if you are an athlete trying to lose weight, that's not helpful. Um, and, and yeah, I know it's a really confusing time, but long story short, we want to know the purpose of why we're using these products and knowing, um, how to kind of beat some of those, um, marketing scams. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the marketing scams in a little bit, but I want to, um, you know, you mentioned getting back from your run and replenishing your, your electrolytes. Well, so let's touch a little bit about on, on post-run nutrition. You know, there's always kind of been the, you know, when the, uh, you know, the 
common knowledge that there's a window of time which you should refuel. And you know, we talked earlier too about the importance of fueling for recovery. So talk to us a little bit about post-run and where we should focus as runners, especially for our, our marathon marathoners, and those are training for spring marathons or Boston, um, as our mileage is now starting to peak, where should we be focusing our post-run nutrition? And is there a, an optimal time? Is there, you know, a, a optimal uh, nutrients? We, what, what should we be looking at? That's such a really great hot question right now. And it's kind of like you said, there was like the woo, the window of opportunity. That's like, again, like Nancy Clark back in the day. Um, So what we know now about overall nutrition, and this I think is so challenging. I think the hardest thing for athletes to be right now is consistent. And what we know is that consistent daily nutrition of eating enough and eating enough protein is more important than you getting done with a workout and slamming that protein drink, which I know, I know this as someone that is an application to practice type of person that if all I had to think about was, okay, I I nailed my protein shake. That was easy. Then it would be easier. But the most important thing is that our overall nutrition is adequate and we're eating enough protein. Now, once my clients, we can check that like, oh my goodness, um, we're eating in a fashion. I call them, or I don't call them performance plate, but I hammer that concept into the grounds of a performance plate, which is just a balance of carbohydrates, protein, antioxidants, fats, all the things we need. Um, once we are doing that throughout the day, then we look at like key sessions that are um, predominantly harder sessions, sessions that are longer and make sure then we start focusing on the nutrient timing of things to maximize recovery. But honestly, no protein shake, no post-workout recovery thing is going to save us if our otherwise nutrition is out of line. That's a great point. And, and along those lines, then the, the, um, you know, magical shakes or the magical, you know, nutrients talk a little bit about, you know, the, there's so much out there and especially now with social media and we were talking about this earlier, but like, you know, influencers and nutritionists and um, just products that are um, marketed really, um, you know, targeting people who, who are looking for kind of the answer to their, to their questions and that quick, easy shake to take or, um, so talk, talk about, about that, the challenges that that poses to you as a dietitian and that you see runners struggling, how you see runners trying to navigate, um, those, that, that information out there. It's such a confusing time because again, $200 billion industry against the girl that's trying to sell consistency. That's not sexy. Um, so I think that the biggest thing, I'm not anti-supplement, by the way, I think the biggest thing to understand is, wow, what a word that explains exactly what it does. Um, The definition is literally in the word. So it's to be used for what we're not getting in our diet or to, to fill gaps. Now, something that I dive into with my clients is understanding why those gaps occur. Is it something that we um, are prioritizing doing extra training and everything. In reality, we need to circle back and say, how, how am I doing my strength work? Am I sleeping enough? Am I eating enough to tackle more training? The training part is the easy and fun part, I think. Um, and that's kind of the, the trap that I think people get into. Um, instead of saying, why is this a gap? I don't like to talk about my own nutrition too much because I think it's irrelevant to a lot of my clients, but this is a really good example. Um, so so right now I'm coming back from Houston. I'm starting to build miles. My, my mileage, relatively speaking for me is very moderate. Um, I'm not using a lot of sports nutrition products because 
there's not a lot of gaps that I need to fill to expedite recovery in the stage of training I'm in right now. Um, opposed to building up for Houston, um, you know, recovery windows are shorter. I'm asking more for my body. My mileage is higher. Um, the recovery length from key session to key session is shorter. My nutrition needs are higher. And so using some of those things to fill gaps like that. But the key thing is, is that we're still working on those performance plates. We're still working on quality snacks. We're still meeting the majority of our nutrition needs through food and then seeing, okay, like where are little gaps that, um, we could really expedite the recovery and everything and get us from point A to point B and where timing is more of the essence and conveniency and meeting friends across town and then having to drive home before we can get to a breakfast or a recovery meal. What kinds of things can we leverage there? And then the other thing about supplements to know that's not common knowledge, that it is my goal to make this common knowledge. And I will, I will tell anybody that asks and that will listen about it is supplements are not FDA regulated or they don't have to be. That's very scary for me. Um, I think somebody went into a GNC and, and tested, um, all of these different supplements that are like 50 grams of protein in this supplement. And what they found is, um, a lot of them don't have as much protein or is not as absorbable as they're saying that it is. And so you really want to be looking for a third party tested supplement, which means that it's tightly regulated to make sure that what you think you're buying, you're actually getting. And even for those third party tested supplements, that still doesn't mean that it's solving the right problem for you. Because I think a lot of times, um, athletes go towards supplements and it's not actually solving the problem that make sure that they're eating enough, that they're sleeping enough, that they're resting enough to absorb the training that they're doing. And so much of it is also blood work. I mean, everyone's different. So really to understand where you, your body needs supplementation, you have to have blood work done to see if you have a deficiency. That's so um, funny. I just posted some lab results of mine today. Um, Cause I'm kind of in that stage of training where I have time to correct anything. And it's still, it's still like, okay, like we might use a supplement, but it's not as much supplement as we need. And how can we improve the absorption of it? And what's the root of it? And if I start a supplement, I don't want to, it, it's really a bandaid. Like what's the root issue? Why is there a deficiency there? So I have to ask, what's your thought then about um, companies? I won't use it by name that mass market to instead of going to a specific dietitian or a medical provider who does your blood work or analyzes it, you send your blood work out to a mass company that looks at it and sends a report to you. Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> I don't want to use the name, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And funny enough, um, so many of my clients were using stuff like that. And I actually, I actually, um, can order my clients labs too. And so just from a consumer level, I actually used this company to see what the experience was like, because so many of my clients were using it. So I just got my lab. Yeah. We have to know we're curious, like why? Yeah. And there were deals, there were deals. We love a deal. Um, so what I will tell you about that is there were so many tests that the, what they're selling isn't necessarily like, for example, magnesium is a really great example is magnesium is an intracellular nutrient, meaning there's so many moving parts. So your intake of magnesium isn't necessarily, um, isn't necessarily indicative of a lab value. If you know what I'm saying So your nutrition, isn't, if my magnesium was low, I wouldn't say, let me 
hurry up and eat all of the magnesium I can. There's just so many moving parts. And then there's other lab values they test that aren't necessarily indicators of what they're making it seem like it's an indicator. Cortisol is a really hairy one right now. Don't get to like, especially by blood tests, there's a very specific way to test cortisol. And then even when we get that lab value, if your cortisol levels aren't within normal limits, it's not necessarily what you think it is. It could be for an entirely different reason. And there's a few other biomarkers that are a little bit misleading that they're selling. And actually I know somebody in the company that I'm friends with, and, um, I wanted to give that feedback before they haven't asked me, but I'm ready whenever he does ask me. Um, it's just a matter of time, trust me. Um, so it's just confusing. And I think it takes people, um, that have this knowledge to really navigate some of those things. And otherwise it's just misleading because again, we're solving the wrong problem. If we get our labs tested and then we're like, oh crap, my magnesium's low. And then you spend all of your time and energy trying to correct that. And that's not the true problem. Thank you so much. Um, it's, it's something that we have been thinking about a lot lately, which is why I, like you decided to try it. And, um, yeah. I, I sent my results to my uncle, who's a cardiologist to read my blood work, just to see what he thought about the report they provided. And he honestly couldn't stop laughing. So, um, thank you. I, I'm thanking you because I think it takes courage for you to speak up about it because a lot of dietitians, registered dietitians are behind this company. So it's confusing. I think also though, it's like, they're behind it because so many athletes are no pun intended, like hungry for this specific information about their bodies. Because I, I, and I can relate to this. I don't think that there's anything wrong with athletes being like, but I'm a special snowflake. I think I'm a special snowflake too. Um, but I think it comes from that. And even, I don't know if you guys have heard like, oh, well, my body doesn't need carbs. And like, you just think that you're like the oh 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 one percent Um, so I can understand getting the specific information and I love labs. Um, so I think it there, it just gets a little bit hairy. Um, even some of the recommendations with labs of like telling them how to make your labs within normal limits. I didn't even recommend with some of, I didn't, um, agree with some of the recommendations that they made. Um, so really you should be getting those types of labs from, from a healthcare provider and then having, you know, the right discipline help you navigate how to replete those levels. Yeah, we as runners, we like data. So I think that's where, like you said, people want that information. They want that, they want that analysis. They want their, you know, evaluate me and you know, give me my my rankings and see what your numbers are. But I think the like you pointed out, the problem lies in the interpretation and the marketing, frankly, the marketing, the packaging of it. So the way it's packaged and then presented. Um, like you said, uh, that's why we encourage our runners to take those blood work, those, those blood tests, get that, get those numbers, see what they are, find out your values, but then have them interpreted by a healthcare professional or registered dietitian that really understands you, knows you also as a person and knows, knows your background and knows what you're doing, your training, what your, your goals are. Um, so, so thank you for, for talking about that. Um, are there any, um, do you have any favorite fuels or, I mean, fun fuels, fuels that you rely upon, like any fun snacks, fuels that you, that you enjoy that, um, that our runners may like, we're always looking for new, new things to add that, um, anything in particular, we, uh, we will say Nancy Clark, um, was really a big hit because she recommended fueling on the run with, I think it was Milky Way, little Milky Way bars. <laughs> so, so we're not talking about just, just about healthy foods, but are there any, you know, kind of go-to foods or snacks that you have, or that you see that your clients or runners, um, have really enjoyed incorporating into their, into their, into their diets? 
Yeah, I think the biggest thing is we are asking ourselves as athletes to do a lot of stuff. And so in that one thing that I really, and I'll tell you my version of this to answer your question fully, but you have to find what are the foods that are your favorite foods and what are the fun things about your day and use them to your benefit. So for example, and in, in my early twenties, like I tried to like work around this and do, I think what, what I learned in school was the right answer on paper. And, um, what I found was that I was trying to like resist the things that I really, really enjoyed. And as soon as I started to um, really, really like just embrace the foods that I loved, I felt like my performance and relationship with food and consistency of nutrition improved because if you don't like your food, you can't be consistent with it. Um, so my very favorite things is to implement. I love a good bake, good man, like muffins, um, stuff like that. I made my husband the sweetest Valentine's day pop tarts. Um, they're on my website, um, pre-run pop tarts. They're homemade. Um, they're not hard to make though. Um, and so implementing like things like that, that are super fun. I'm also a huge fan of things like waffles and pancakes and stuff like that. So implementing that pre-run or even post-run as part of my recovery, um, has been like a really big deal for me that I felt like, Hey, at the end of the day, like, it's not like, Oh, Kelsey, you ate pancakes and that's bad for X, Y, and Z reason. It's like, thank you very much. Here's some glucose. We're going to recover your muscles and you're going to get ready to crush it the next day. Um, so I think understanding having, like, I really just simplified that, but a deep understanding of, um, metabolism has kind of helped me. The more I learn about metabolism, the more I realize, oh my gosh, like it's, the most important thing is that you eat and you eat enough carbohydrates, you eat enough protein, you eat enough fat and, um, what we eat does matter. But at the same time, like using your sports nutrition that, um, agrees with your body and is satisfying for your mind too, is extremely important. Um, runners love when I talk about cereal, I don't know what it is, but anytime I post something about cereal, they get excited. Like I just gave them permission to like, I don't know, steal from a baby. I don't know. Um, so cereal is like a very controversial thing. So if you're listening, you can implement it. Of course, like there's things that depending on the purpose that you're using the cereal, I teach my clients to look for. Um, but oh my goodness, like pre-run bedtime snack. Um, I know that there's a lot of bad information about how cereal is the reason why the pandemic is going right now. I don't know. Um, but people love to talk about cereal and I feel like I give them a really special permission when we talk about how to implement them into their diet. You know, it's funny, um, when I'm in high mileage training, that's something I crave is a bowl of cereal with milk. So it's definitely something my body craves. I give into it completely. we we did learn from a dietitian who we adore uh, several years ago that part of the controversy surrounding cereal, of course, is that there's a lot of different cereals, not all the same. There's a lot of different kinds of cereal and a lot of cereal contains health claims. And those health claims are, of course, marketing. So understanding what cereal can be used for, I think, is, as you point out, is, is really important. And understanding that Count Chocula cereal is not necessarily the same as, if it has a, a character on it, then you just kind of yeah. know. <laughs> but, but it's but got iron. Going. Remember, we talked Nancy Clark yeah. said, you know, even those cereals, they've got iron, they're fortified. So. I mean, that stuff is crazy. But, but you know, at the same time, like I, my favorite cereal is Special K with strawberries, not because Special K is, 
healthy, but I love those dehydrated strawberries. Um, you know, that has a lot of sugar too, but I think you're right. Like, of course you're right on occasion and using it at in the right points of your day is, is, you know, a fun food that you can have. And certainly it it satisfies me in, in my higher, higher mileage days. Yeah, absolutely. And even just like, I mean, sports dietitians, we're going to find you an excuse to eat your favorite foods, like Nancy Hart, the fortified iron. (laughs) Um, but oh my goodness, like, especially training in like hot climates, a lot of times, um, until I'm ready to sit down and eat like a proper recovery meal, like cereal and milk, like sounds like protein and carbs, like perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Kelsey. You've given us you know, so much to really backs up what, you know, what kind of what our instinct has always been about nutrition and what we try to convince our runners. But, um, um, you know, I think hearing it from an expert that not only has the credentials and the education and has done the research and has the experience, though, personally, you know, as a runner yourself and working with runners, that that reinforces it um, to all of our runners. So, um, so this has been um, really helpful and amazing. And tell our listeners where they can find you. You're talking about all of these great recipes and posts that you're putting up and blog posts to tell runners where they can find you. Yeah. So Instagram, I'm sports dietitian, Kelsey. Um, my website is meternutrition.com. And then I have a not so private, private Facebook group. Um, that's called endurance sports nutrition. It's not that private has to be in it. It's not exclusive. I'll let you in. Um, it's really just so that, um, people that, um, you know, are selling again, those supplements don't, um, weasel their way in. (laughs) Understood. And Kelsey, what is your next goal race? Oh, um, so after January, um, I was so relieved to get, um, the OTQ out of the way, um, believe it or not, marathons are not my favorite distance. Um, (laughs) I love halves. And so I was really excited. Um, I'm doing some track races in the spring and then I'm ending my season at, um, grandma's half marathon, which I've been signed up for. Like, I think that this is like my fourth attempt. I had an injury like two or three years ago and then pandemic years. And then, um, finally I get to do it. So I've really missed Duluth and I'm excited to go back. Wonderful. Well, huge congratulations for achieving an OTQ. And we so look forward to your continued trajectory upward and to seeing you uh, compete at the Olympic marathon trials in a few years. So thank you so much for joining us today. You've been just a pleasure to talk with a wealth of information and we have no doubt that we will be having you on again in the very near future. You are just terrific. So thank you for all of this information and we wish you all the best with your training and your business. Well, thanks so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. I know we could probably talk for days on this, but I mean, I guess we all have to go and, and, and do other things. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye Kelsey. Thank you so much for listening to the run farther and faster Boston marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryan. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others. And please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.